0: Okay, it's starting. Um, the waveforms look uh, like I mean it's being picked up, but like I said, I did as much as I can and realize I don't even have a shock mount for the real mic, and I want to kill myself. And dude, it's, it's all good. fine. Yeah, or if you I do mean... kill yourself, do it on mic. <laughs> I I don't. The only thing like make me now want to off myself is thinking i can't let down jp
1: <laughs> do, you think, do you think my brother john paul will listen to this podcast
0: no or, he, or he'll 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 listen to it enough to make to like bring it up in two years <laughs> like when he showed me that one kalamazoo um okay uh like when jp showed me that one interview of kalamazoo you did and he just like blindsided me with it and you were like what the fuck why are you like i i i get it i mean i don't and do understand why you were like why are you watching that (laughs) wait what interview Aren't you, you're, like, featured in some, I swear you're, like, interviewed or someone's talking to you in, like, uh, uh, not near campus, but in, like, downtown Kalamazoo or something. Someone did some feature on you. And... I don't think I had ever seen it until JP pulled it up when I was <laughs> like last saw him and uh, like you walked in on us like <laughs> like we watching it and we're like disturbed.
1: God, that I don't even fucking remember that interview. So that's you now
0: Or maybe it was was it or it could have been. Did you give an interview when you were in Montreal? It could have uh, been how that. How the hell
1: did he find that? I don't even know where to yeah. find that. That's weird. My little brothers like like Benjamin Note like finds like weird old stuff of mine from like ten years ago all the time, like digs up like old interviews and stuff. Um I wanted to start off with uh I, I had a good question. I wanted to ask. Um if you were a plant, what kind of plant would you be? And I want you not to answer this for yourself, but what you think the other two hosts would be what plants would we be wait
0: uh,
1: okay so think of it this way uh you know furries do you know any you know
0: furries (laughs) yeah yeah i'm familiar uh, (laughs) with the concept
1: imagine a version of furries but they're into plants anthropomorphized plants what plants would we all be Because i've been why why didn't
0: you ask just frame the question is what plants would each of us be that's um, why well,
1: you're, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm
2: clumsy.
0: <laughs> I, I was like, I, I, you were just like melting my brain with the the syntax <laughs> of that one.
1: Well, so did Lana Del Rey, probably. Um, I think, <laughs> I think Eleanor. I've been thinking about this. I think you might be an aloe plant.
2: Hmm. Why is that?
1: Because you you have a a thick exterior. You have a, from some angles, maybe even a prickly exterior, but on the inside, you are a soothing, uh, a soothing balm to my life, (laughs) like an aloe plant.
2: Well, that's a hell of a compliment. Thank you.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. I hope you don't mind me saying you're prickly. um, Oh, no, I'm
2: very prickly. (laughs) I know that about myself.
1: Okay, and Marcus, what do we think Marcus is, Eleanor?
2: uh it's hard to say yeah i feel like i don't know enough about plants to answer this question i'm horrible at yeah, plant identification it's,
1: it's it's hard i i see marcus as maybe some type of i see i see him as maybe some sort of desert plant maybe maybe like a cactus of some type yeah maybe
2: i honestly i could see marcus as some sort of like I don't know something that grows really like densely and like interweaving. Yes, like a kudzu,
1: like a kudzu yes. vine. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Impenetrable, but <laughs> but impenetrable. <laughs> but you can't. You have to deal with it when it's in your presence. That's kind of how, that is how <laughs> I feel about Marcus. Okay, and what do you what do you guys say for me then?
0: Uh, I don't know anything about plants, and I'm not uh ain't too proud to uh to admit admit that and just uh
1: he's no botanist folks <laughs> refrain
0: no no i well no i guess i'm trying to think of what the word would be silver culture so sil, uh silver culturalist i know more eh. about trees than plants so oh, i could okay. give you a tree answer but not a plant answer okay a tree a tree's fine it could be anything uh, plant related Okay, then then Eleanor's a silver maple, Ooh, and I like you're a that. Bir- you're you're a birch. I am a birch. Why am I a birch? I'm not Is going to white? explicate. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because like they're so in my mind. I would if someone were to be like describe them, I'd say they're gray, and okay. so yeah.
1: Swag. Well, do you know what Lana Del Rey would be?
2: Uh, I don't know. What's the most American plant?
1: I've got the answer. I've got the answer. I've already, I've come preloaded with this answer. She would be a (laughs) lawn. Yeah. (laughs) Because not only does that work as a pun, but it also works on a conceptual level. Like she w- like the aesthetic level, like the m- sort of 50s, like mid-century, like old money vibes. Yeah. Like it all congeals into the plant concept of a lawn. She is a manicured, aesthetically pleasing but perhaps destructive on the under on the on the sublim- subtextual level. She's a lawn.
2: Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Good good, good setup. Setup. I would Poetry.
1: We are ready for episode two. Um, we've, we we um, recorded episode one in like September. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it's been a while.
1: Uh, today, today, earlier today, I got all of the podcast stuff posted. I figured out how to get it on the internet. I got it on a platform. It's on the Spotify. It's on uh, Google Podcasts. So we're live. The podcast is a going concern now. We're podcasters. Great.
0: Oh, I've, I've, what I've always aspired to. <laughs> so, welcome
1: to episode two of Not Fit for Composition. I am your host once again, August Smith. Joining me are my two illustrious co-hosts, uh, Marcus Corey, calling in from Queens, New York. Marcus, how are you doing today?
0: I'm all right. I I was going to interject with uh, with um, uh, Robert Burns' line about when you were saying November and then I was going to say in bleak December wind and so in best snelling Keen, um, wow. just because I was talking about Robert Burns with someone else on <laughs> discord the other wow. day.
1: Did you just pull that out of your memory?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the, it's a, I know, uh, I know some Robert Burns by uh heart. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that
1: about you. That's cool. Um, who were you talking about Robert Burns with?
0: Haha, uh, uh, ha, Ostro and Dan Arnold. Oh. Because I said, Friends of I the pod. said, didn't we, as in because we went to the same elementary school, read My Love is Like a Red, Red Rose by Robert Burns in a, in like middle school. And they weren't sure, and I'm not sure either. So yeah. I want to say we did, because why else would I have known it? But Yeah.
1: Also, the other co-host we have with us, calling in from... Sixteen inches away from me is my dear friend Eleanor Eli Moss here in Austin, Texas. Eleanor, how are you? I'm
2: doing all right. You know the usual. uh Everything sucks, and we're all going to die. Yeah, hanging in there.
1: That's the Eleanor that we all tune in to hear. Have <laughs> you been? Have you been since September, Eleanor?
0: <laughs>
2: uh, honestly, I've I don't know. It hasn't been awful, but it hasn't been great. So just coasting along on that mediocrity.
1: Right on. Straight to oblivion, baby. Just from from here (laughs) Here to the end. end. Well, I'm so glad to have you guys here to talk about some stuff. Um, Marcus, we ended the last episode with your Napoleon Minute, and that was before the Napoleon movie came out. And so I wanted to give you a chance to, in a sense, clear your name, because I don't want people to hear that first episode and think you got obsessed with Napoleon um due to the movie because that would just not be accurate to who you are so what did you think of the napoleon movie and i thought have... it was
0: very bad but i don't think it's necessary to like mm, spout victory all about it because it yeah. was that bad and that inconsequential to uh reiterate what i had said to some someone i went in just uh wanting to see a movie by the guy who made that gladiator movie where <laughs> Russell Crowe is like, are you not entertained? And so, yeah, I just went in expecting, um, Napoleonic costumes and dumb entertainment. And I was left with just a tremendous waste of time. <laughs> was, um, the co- was the
1: costumes not even. Some like, of them were satisfying? all right.
0: Some of them were all, that was maybe the most satisfying thing, but. Mm, The noteworthy costumes only made their appearances uh, probably for less than uh, probably a third of the movie. So, yeah, Yeah. it was spectacularly bad. Um, And, yeah, I I didn't have particularly high hopes, but even those were dashed.
1: Nah, that's a a shame. Well, but I'm glad, you know, we could get your input because, I didn't want people to get the wrong impression about you. As though you're some sort of Napoleon Fairweather fan. Do you want to do a Napoleon Minute at the end of this episode? Or is that is that going to be a recurring bit?
0: If you want it to be, I can make it happen.
1: I really liked the first one. Did you like
0: the first Napoleon Minute? Yeah,
2: I thought it turned out pretty well.
1: <laughs>
0: I thought it was forced. I could give you a Napoleon Minute right now.
1: Okay, let's, let's have it. I'm going to open a beer. So... so go
0: um there's a misconception about the uh, Battle of Waterloo um and it's related to poetry. So that's why um I'm bringing it up. If I'm correct, um there is Victor Hugo, Victor Hugo characterized Waterloo as, um, a plain, Uh, he says, uh, in his, uh, one of his poems where he's, uh, lamenting the romantic tragedy that was Waterloo. But apparently the topography of the battlefield is not at all, um, couldn't be described at all as, uh, flat flat it's actually like hilly and has slopes and that affected the dynamics of the battle with uh the trajectory of artillery and all that so there's my uh napoleonic minute for you and it is very much related to poetry because that line is fairly iconic and uh literary one of the most well-known literary representations of uh uh, an important moment in Napoleonic history, but alas, iconic uh, moment. Iconic, but it's not correct.
1: But wh- why would Victor Hugo fuck that up? Is it just? I think was, it was he doing it
0: for the rhyme scheme? Was he doing it for the? Yeah, meter? I'm almost. I'm almost um, certain it was to incorporate. Yeah, to fit um, the rhyme scheme and like syllables demanded for that for that piece.
1: is that i hear on the winds the discourse bell ringing the anguished cries of hundreds of master's degrees going to waste on twitter that's right run away it is, it's the discourse time <laughs> this discourse set off with a tweet from someone named jane greer at now uh at north dakota Jane, uh this woman tweeted out this uh tweet it was a picture of a Facebook. Po- it was a tweet that had a picture of a Facebook post with a picture. Anyway, she tweeted out a, a a a poem from Diane Seuss's book, Frank: Colon Sonnets. And now this book got the 2022 Pulitzer Prize. This was the Pulitzer Prize-winning book in 2022. And it's a book of sonnets. And Diane Seuss uh, is actually a Kalamazoo-based poet. I once met her. Um, nice. But- yeah, yeah. So it's all a small world in the poetry world. But this person tweeted out, uh, "Yes, I know that Diane Seuss won the 2022 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry, but that is on- not only not a sonnet; it is not any kind of poetry at all. It is prose." That and the, t- the 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 uh poem attached to the tweet is indeed a very prosaic poem. I mean, you could argue that. It has line breaks, but it's just kind of like where the page break, line breaks on prose would be. So I don't know if these are intentional line breaks or not. And it's uh, it's more sonnet discourse. Is this a sonnet? Is this not a sonnet? This seems like a topic of inexhaustible, interminable discourse in the poetry community. So do you guys care about whether or not a sonnet is a sonnet? Do you guys care about form? What? Where where are you at with the sonnet form in your life?
2: I don't really care. Um, at least not about like standardized uh poetry forms. Like I pay attention to form in as much as how it like influences the poem itself. Uh sure. But I don't really care if something's a sonnet or not. And honestly, it's hilarious to call a book Sonics and not have a sonnet in it. Uh, that so. is pretty funny to do
1: <laughs> if it's full of just like knots on it, i respect that
2: yeah truly and I, also like i feel like prose poetry has been a thing for a while like okay, it's absolutely. of course it's i don't think that you should discount that something is a poem or not just because it's in like prose format because it's i feel like a lot of people do that a lot of
1: really recognized poets do that Marcus, your thoughts on the sonnet form, and I'll send I'll send the link to the tweet so you can look at the poem if you. I
0: like. did look at the tweet okay, shortly cool. before we began recording, and mm, I I just think it's mm, silly discourse because regardless of whether or not one um, values uh, traditional forms or values writing uh, with form restrictions like there are many different sonnets and I'm correct uh, mm, within modern languages it'll be derived from Petrarch and so the there's like a uh, Elizabethan sonnet was adapted from Italian language sonnets and of course we've had various uh, iterations so I don't know enough about um, the most common sonnets of even the 20th century so my point being is it's just like silly bickering over labels because there's (laughs) within uh you know the sonnet itself there's different national traditions there's different uh chronological uh evolution of the form so there's flexibility within the sonnet itself so um yeah yeah Of course.
1: Yeah. I guess one thing that struck me is that people dogpiled on this woman for saying this about a sonnet. And I think it's a pretty legitimate question about a sonnet. If you're a person who knows what a sonnet is and you encounter this poem, of course, you're going to be like, well, I don't know. How is this a sonnet? Right. But people Mm -hmm. were very people seem to kind of like explode out people's Mm -hmm. feelings on form into like a metaphor for like how they approach life. Like people were calling her like. Uh, uh like saying she was policing sonnets and people mm-hmm. were saying that you know uh i i i got a tweet here from a friend of the pod and i thought this was a good i mean this was one side of the argument this is friend of the pod gion davis and he said, not to incur the ire of the side of poetry, but if you're being pedantic about what is and isn't a sonnet or Pulitzer worthy, you have not even begun the work of real poetry, which is dismantling and remaking form and in turn dismantling and remaking yourself and the world for others. And that feels like one camp's answer to this question and i get that i think that there is at least like that wins the battle for like using the most poetic language in this particular <laughs> piece of discourse but at the same time i don't think it's illegitimate to want to know why this is considered a sonnet
2: well no i don't think so but the way she phrased it is kind of uh, not great she didn't really she didn't really phrase it as a question she said yeah, this is not, not a sonnet and it's this is dismissive. not poetry yeah. yeah. I feel like if yeah, she had phrased true. it differently, people would have approached it differently. Yeah. Uh,
0: yes, and then it could have developed into more of a a more of a, a discussion along the lines of what I was talking about. Someone yes. could argue like, oh, it doesn't need breaks or if it has this amount of X, Y, or Z. But uh-huh. yes, it was it was a provocation, I think. A provocation yeah. tweet, less than a yeah. inquiry.
1: Yeah. I mean I think I think the way she phrased it meant that it enabled a lot of engagement
0: but i also just still
1: felt that for her i feel <laughs> like
2: yeah i i mean i get that i don't feel like she needs to be dogpiled on the internet for it because who gives a shit honestly like
1: <laughs> yeah and like okay there's there's one subset of responses that essentially amounted to fuck you if i say it's a son it's a son if you try to tell me it's not a sonnet you're a fucking fascist or something And I don't really think that that's a cool way to approach it either. Like, I think, I think there's a third option between like pure formalist, like it's gotta be, um, you know, three quatrains in a couplet and um, something that is like, fuck you. Everything is a sonnet If I say it is, which is that part of like the meta game of poetry is arguing about this shit and the seeing how far you can take forms and seeing how they evolve. And if you call your poem a sonnet, and you're not doing a traditional sonnet, then you're inserting into that poem a discussion of its status in the history of sonnets, whether you like it or not. So you should invite this kind of thing, I think. I feel like, why would you get so mad about that? Like, it's not a sonnet, and it is a sonnet. It can be both. It's a quantum sonnet.
2: Right. and that, I feel like that's kind of the point of poetry, is just to, you know. Yes speak from your heart or whatever do whatever the fuck you want and either people like relate to it and engage with it in a positive way or they don't like it and it like encourages discussion or else they just mind their own fucking business and move on and consume something else Uh, i think it's
1: yeah i think it's fine that formalist poets exist i think there should be people out there who are like sonnets are this and i think we should stick to the form that's not me But I think that those people should, it's like people out there in the world who like, you know, like sort of semi-autistic people who wear like old school, like uh, suits and they like wish they were born in another generation yeah like, i'm glad that's a thing i'm glad that exists <laughs> and i think that's the po- that's the formalist of the poetry i'm world. not <laughs> glad that there's anyone speaking in a
0: transatlantic accent in the year 2024 you're not you don't no. think that, that that no that makes the tapestry of
1: life somehow more beautiful
0: <laughs> i mean uh, i'm gonna it,
2: <laughs> i would respect it more if it weren't an inherently white person thing to do.
1: Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Only white like...
2: people get to have the luxury of wishing they lived in the fifties because yeah. <laughs> for everyone else it kinda sucked.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true as hell. Uh, so I was looking at this discourse and I clicked this uh woman's uh Twitter account and um I read her bio and it said a Catholic formalist poet and I thought I've read that phrase before. At some point this piece of language has graced my mind before and I had to figure out what it was and what it was, was this exact same person again, Jane Greer shout out a year and a half ago. She ignited a similar formal discourse, poetry discourse on Twitter about erasure poetry. When she said, when she said that erasure poetry wasn't real poetry. Now I don't agree with her, but she's two for two as far as <laughs> pissing a lot of people off. And, uh, you know, you got to kind of respect the game. Like if you're able to do that. Also, when she did that and said erasure poetry wasn't poetry, every poet that I know did the most obvious thing. <laughs> and you know what I'm about to say. Yes, they of course. They turned that tweet into an erasure poem. Of
2: course they did.
1: And I'm sorry if you're listening to this and you did that. Don't do the first clever thing that comes to your mind I'm sorry that's just like that is so that was so played out the minute it happened everyone was doing it I thought it was all of the results were so repetitive and ironically I think that they kind of all these people writing these erasure poems kind of proved her point because all of their poems were kind of bad and the same
2: yeah don't do it like that that's the uh like I don't have anything against erasure poems some of them are no. cool they're fine
1: they're interesting they put a text you make a poem that's in conversation with another pre-existing text that's interesting
2: but you can't respond to a critique of erasure poems by making it into an erasure poem and expect to have any kind of merit it's just
1: obvious (laughs) it's just obvious marcus do you have any things on that did you see that when that happened
0: this was like a year and a half ago no i I didn't but but i i agree that it's just tremendously low effort
1: it's low effort. It's very low. Effort. I mean, it's
2: like, I mean, at the same time, it's just like poetry posting. So I understand like yeah, go off or yeah. whatever, but it's also yeah, very but silly. Everyone
1: is so smarmy about it. They're always <laughs> like, oh, you don't like erasure <laughs> poetry? Here's my erasure poem of your anti-erasure poetry tweet. It's like, come on. Yeah. That's every, so.
2: Everyone's smarmy on Twitter and especially poets. So. I
1: know. <laughs> it was so predictable. If you did that, come on. Hold yourself to higher standard. Do I, a commentary on the erase your poems about the erasure tweet, like go to the next level. Don't just do your, the first thing that comes in your mind. Cause of course I saw the tweet and I thought I should do an erasure poem with this tweet, but then I thought everyone's going to do that.
2: Of course. And they did. Yeah. And they I, did. I don't like, I, it's the right of anyone to have, you know, their own opinions about that. And if they don't like erasure poems and fakes on it, then that's fine. Uh <laughs> okay, you called it a fake sonnet. <laughs> you're like you're like you're you're right. I mean, you're right. I mean I honestly I don't know what a sonnet is. I don't care. I don't I forgot what a sonnet is a long time ago and I don't it's write fine. any sonnets, so it's fine. But it's, like I just don't think you should gatekeep it for other people because like, you know, poets do whatever the hell. And like if you want to be in your little lane of you know standard traditional poetry that's fine let other people do the wacky dumbass shit you don't have to read it
1: yeah i i, I just think jane greer rocks um i think she's <laughs> the poet of the week she's the not fit for composition poet of the week because she ignited two form-based discourses on twitter which is more than any of us
0: and i can respect um, that <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> there's something cool. i i respect that but i'm gonna hold off on my
2: endorsement of her until i'm sure that she's not racist or whatever
1: well, she could be racist. We have no oh, idea. We, we don't, don't know, know much. I mean, she's a Catholic formalist poet. This also brings to mind, her bio says Catholic formalist poet. She's definitely racist. Is there a difference
0: between
1: that? She follows me on Twitter, so maybe she'll listen to this. Is there a difference between Catholic formalist poet and formalist Catholic poet? Like, what order should those words go in? Um, Open question to the floor. I feel
2: like
0: I that's think a fine her order. I don't know. formulation sounds more natural, but also, gosh, I mean, returning to actually what I said, I feel that if you're not like within a traditionally Catholic context, which is in the United States, like you're just you're making a stretch. Uh, there's not a, I don't know, there there's not a strong uh, tradition of um, English language Catholic formalist poetry that I'm aware of whereas I could probably yeah, like I could you could legitimately say that about like France or uh, uh Spain um yeah for example probably like Charles Peggy uh who wrote like about Joan of Arc was a Catholic formalist poet um or at least formalist to some degree but definitely uh Catholic so I mean that's the, actually the first thing I thought of like oh I wonder if she's composed like a very long narrative poem about Joan of Arc um I,
1: I would love that we need to we need to read one of Jane's books I think <laughs> like, <laughs> lo- I love her
3: you're fine you're wild, but you don't- poetry is bad and you blame the news. But I can't change that and I can't change your mood.
1: Uh, let's talk about Violet Bent Backwards Over the Grass. Now, this is a poetry book by one Lana Del Rey, singer, songwriter, American. She is... Um, last time we did this, last time we talked about a book... I like did this whole thing where I was like Ernest Cline was born in Ohio. I don't want to do that with Lana Del Rey because I didn't prepare anything and we all kind of know who Lana Del Rey is.
2: Yeah. That's fine.
1: So, I want to just basically get before you read this book, what are both of your opinions of the work and life of and and public persona of Lana Del Rey?
2: Um well, I I like her music. Um, I think that she's written some great songs. Um, as a person, I don't know. I don't know her. I try not to pay attention to what celebrities say because a lot of them are fucking dumbasses. Uh and I would rather not know. So I don't really know much about that, but I like her songs. How much
1: of her music how much of her music do you like? Like are you like Oh yeah, I've heard some of the singles, and I like some of the albums. or are you like, oh, I liked her first few. Like
2: I like actively like her. Like I've listened to all of her albums, and I like a good chunk of them. Um it's not like, I don't know, I wouldn't say she's one of my favorite artists, but she she can write some pretty good songs.
1: Yes, and she's beautiful.
2: Yes, yes she is. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got a great grasp of uh, the very particular aesthetic that she's going for. She pulls so
1: it off. That's true. She's the master of that. Marcus, what are your thoughts on Lana Del Rey?
0: <laughs> How I'll try to be mute. Um, I'll try to mute them because um don't don't hold uh, back. yeah, I, it's fine <laughs> if you don't like not, it. It's uh, not my degree of mm, bitterness would just not be a good look. Uh, I don't to to put it in a few words, I just don't get it. I don't get her. I probably first heard a song by her um, a little more than a decade ago. So it probably would have been when she initially became popular. The right. song that's something on cinnamon, sniffing, fucking riddling. <laughs> like
3: like
0: like um. <laughs> And I thought it was just kind of, like, bad. And um, when I have heard other music by her, I was like, oh, this is, like, overproduced radio music with, like, bargain basement Nico Case vocals over it, and I don't get it. Um, But I – apparently she's a huge cult figure, and I – don't yeah, I don't understand it. I think there's so many other uh, popular or less popular uh, artists that do um the music part better. Uh, I don't understand the draw of whatever the character is supposed to be. I don't know. I've lived in Southern California and it's I think <laughs> yeah, supposed you to be actually some, have. some some you've sort like of lived
1: like, in the Lana del Rey zone.
0: Some sort of like weird um, uh, figure that's lives in some fantasy world like Southern California thing. I don't really get that either. So I'm, I'm left with a lot of confusion. Um, and also just a lot of being underwhelmed by, uh, the songs I've heard, which are probably from around like the 2012 up to 2014, uh, releases she did.
1: Yeah. At her sort of like maybe commercial peak, but I, I'm a kind of a middle position between you two because I don't really know anything about Lana Del Rey. I knew a couple of her songs initially like "Play a video game. Yeah. I like that song because it's <laughs> called video games and it's, it's, it's a good song and that's kind of like all I knew about her. But then as I was preparing for this episode, I tried to listen to a bunch of Lana Del Rey's music over the past few weeks and what, I found was that I actually kinda like her music. I think her music from like before 2015 isn't very good. I think her new albums are pretty good. I find her albums totally exhausting because I can't get through them in one sitting. And yeah. I usually can, but they're just ball they're just all ballads. And yeah. They're they're kind of at the same pace and the same tone and like her new her newer work, like her last like three or four albums is kind of follows a very formulaic approach where it's like piano chords she's singing and then about three-fourths of the way through the song some very processed drums come in and you're like oh there's the release of all that tension that she builds
2: yeah yeah see i very rarely listen to albums all the way through anymore i listen to a lot of shuffled playlists and she's really perfect for that it's just like every now and then lana del rey that she doesn't overstay her welcome
1: and you can listen to something else yeah her albums are kind of a tough tough hang for me frankly yeah that's fair
2: she's she's got a particular uh thing and she sticks to it like glue
1: yes she stays in her lane for sure i but i will say after listening to her most recent albums over the past few weeks and like kind of forcing myself to do it i've grown to appreciate her and i'm in love with her and she's beautiful and she's just a beautiful woman and she's smoking hot and i love her (laughs) So she came up with a poetry book um, in, what was it, 2021. Um, And this poetry book, let me see. uh, 2020, actually, deep in the thick of COVID. This poetry book is called Violet Violet, Violet Bent Backwards Over the Grass. And... um, where should we start with this? Uh, there's a lot to talk about. I have acquired and absorbed a lot of information about this book while reading it a few times, but I think what I want first from both of you is your opinion of just the book unrelated to Lana Del Rey herself.
2: It's um, hmm. funny that you say that. Hmm. I feel like... I only enjoyed this book's this book in the context of Lana Del Rey. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. I like that. Say more.
2: Uh just like as uh like as a book of poetry by itself, I don't really think it's that interesting. But as like a window into this public figure that I know of and like admire their art. I actually thought it was kind of interesting.
1: Marcus, what did you think?
0: Uh, It's like a corny vanity piece. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And actually, maybe the worst parts of about it or like the very very clear in your face references to like los angeles i'm trying to even think oh like genesee 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 like i locked, yeah. in, i locked down genesee i'm sorry there was there's nothing it's it shouldn't be uttered in verse <laughs> let alone three times <laughs> and also yeah. was the reference to xanadu like what uh, was samuel, that about? samuel taylor coleridge or is it from like that movie and there was also a song by the drop 19s that like uh, old shoot gaze band where they also um, mentioned Xanadu. Uh, well, let's go to, uh,
1: let's go to that poem because I feel like that poem is like sort of not one of the best, not one of the worst. It's called what happened when I left you. It's kind of just like, um, maybe it kind of encapsulates what this collection does and, um, um. It's on page ten of the PDF. I just want to say also that we are all reading this off of a PDF, not the actual book, which is worth noting because the actual book, everything is kind of um, it, it's made to look like typewritten pages, and I guess evidently there are um, there's like handwritten notes and edits on a lot of the poems, which we didn't get in the PDF. There if, are a
2: few of them. But yes, there are a few. Not of them. as many.
1: Yes. And I want to just say, if you Google Violet Bent Backwards Over the Grass PDF, you can find this book for free. It's like the second result. So, you know, if you want to read it, you don't have to buy it. So let's go to what happened when I left you.
3: Perfect petals punctuate the fabric's yellow-blue. Silver platters with strawberries strewn across the room. In Zimmerman, with sandals on, one summer-dressed choose, Three girls, eyes rolled, loud laughter, dust specks lit by afternoon My life is sweet like lemonade, now there's no bitter fruit Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, no thought of you My thoughts have changed, my voice is higher, now I'm over you No flickering in my head movies projected in Bellevue Because I captured the mood of my wish fulfilled and sailed to Xanadu The grief that came in waves that rolled I navigated through The fire from my wish as wind to future trip to Malibu Now everything I have is perfect, nothing much to do Just perfect florals, green embroidered chairs, one dress to choose kind of fuck with
1: this poem a little bit the musicality of it is pretty obvious not obvious in a bad sense the musicality of it is evident um it's definitely clearly coming from somebody who is a lyricist to me and
0: uh i
2: think she only mentioned xanadu because she wanted something that rhymed with malibu
0: (laughs) yeah I was I guess curious. That's true. What I was curious about is, she says, "My wish fulfilled." I mm-hmm. don't know if it was a conscious decision to say, "My wish fulfilled," if she was just wanted to talk about wishes, or because "eternal sunshine of the spotless mind" um, in the Alexander uh, Pope poem. It's "eternal sunshine of the spotless mind." Every prayer answered and every wish resigned if I'm going off the top of my head. So I didn't know if it was like taking that and running with it and she says wish fulfilled or if she is not aware of the next line and it's just just not an allusion to that specifically. I
1: kind of want to give her the benefit of the doubt because there's like a running theme in a lot of her work She's like a literary person. She like talks about writers, you know. I mean, I'm not
2: saying I'm not. That's not to like discredit her or anything. Uh, I guess I just meant in the context of the poem because it's not. No, but
1: do you think Marcus is right that she's referencing that poem, or do you think that she's just uh uh, off the dome synchronicity? Or I mean, I feel like it
2: could be a little bit of both because she feel. I feel like she it's very possible that she does know about that reference, but also a lot of these poems seem to be kind of stream of consciousness a little bit. Uh, Yeah. So it's hard to say how much thought went into like the crafting of each, you know, stanza or whatever.
1: A couple interesting things are revealed when you read her interviews about this book. One thing is that she said this book helped her get out of a, like a writer's block. Which is kind of funny, like a, a songwriter block.
2: Yeah, I, which I is saw kind that.
1: Of interesting because it's like you're just like instrumentalizing the writing of these poems to get to what the real writing for you is, which is lyric writing, maybe. But that's okay. It's just kind of interesting that it's like to restart the engine from her. She had to start writing these poems. Okay, fair. Uh, another thing that she uh talks about i mean she really references a lot of like mid-century writers she references um uh uh what's his name um um uh allen ginsberg yeah she's like uh she loves like the beat poets and stuff which of course to, she does which to someone who's like into poetry is a little eye-rolly but to someone who doesn't interface with poetry as often as you any of us do maybe that's like that's probably more potent and interesting i'm willing to like Dude, I don't that?
0: even know like a single beat poem or beat poet. I don't like, I don't know what the hell any of that stuff is.
1: <laughs> not even like Al- Al- Allen Ginsberg or Kerouac. I mean, I know that I did. Know you never have like a Kerouac phase. You never like did- read on the road and were like, I'm gonna travel. <laughs> no,
0: not not one. No, <laughs> no, I've had less than no desire. I've le- <laughs> less than zero desire to ever read on the road. I just thought it- I thought that was like Fight Club.
1: What sense, what sense is that like fight club i don't know isn't it like
0: a popular movie that like lots of like young men get jacked about but like there's absolutely nothing for me so i stay away from it
2: yeah i i missed the boat on that i didn't i didn't read any of that stuff until like my 20s and by then i was like i don't like this
1: you're like this is juvenile this is kind
2: of <laughs> well not necessarily that it's juvenile i just didn't really it didn't do anything for me so yeah I think, I feel like the question is, like, does she reference these writers because she actually likes them or because they fit the aesthetic she's going for?
0: With Sylvia Plath, with Sylvia Plath, I think it's very, very, very clearly just like a, like a aesthetic gesture at best. And again, weird, weird that I lived next to Smith College at one point where Sylvia Plath attended, so I'm like very much able you to ident- identify like identify places referenced in this
1: i guess the problem with london del rey and it's like we're retreading old ground that has been trod by um music critics 10 years ago but this whole question of authenticity and whether she, whether she's like an authentic whatever it's like yeah i don't know do i care Like, I don't know if I care, but there is this, like, thing about her where it feels all kind of surface level. And then you read interviews with her, and she's kind of down to earth about the whole thing. She's not this, like, um, caricature of a a Tumblr aesthetic girly or something. So I feel so ambivalent.
2: I mean, I I feel like it's a little bit of both with her. Like, she definitely has an aesthetic that she goes for, but it doesn't feel, like, inauthentic. Like, she just loves fucking, you know... Americana she and, loves like
1: movies from the 50s yeah and, like typewriters and like the west coast but also old money east coast I don't know They're, yeah yeah I, yeah, I, I, yeah
2: I think that rubs people the wrong way and like seems fabricated but I think that yeah. her enjoyment of it seems genuine to me
0: yeah I would agree with I, you without having a lot of context about her and her persona just really what I mentioned earlier the poem uh, you brought up, what happened when I left you, and <laughs> I think that it, it, at least this poem, is a pretty good like encapsulation of I really like Urban Outfitters, and it brought me <laughs> yeah. it brought me to the interior of an Urban Outfitters. What that is to say, like <laughs> I kind of get what she's trying, the images she's trying to. Um, She's trying to conjure up. So on that level, she was successful at it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She said something about soul cycle at some point, like wanting to soul cycle something to death. Yeah. uh, I had this like weird moment where I was in the library yesterday and I was listening to her read these poems and I was like walking around and I had drank one beer and I was like in this like sort of blissful state. I had this like normie brain moment. I was like looking at everyone and I was like enjoying this like beautiful aesthetic beautiful woman's voice gracing me with these sort of vaguely poetic things and then I sat down and opened an actual poetry book that I like and I was like oh yeah wait like actually (laughs) these poems are kind of like they're kind of flaccid in comparison to like a lot of the stuff that I actually like so she's hypnotic in that way yeah I think like
2: honestly I think the poems kind of mirror her music and that you're not supposed to think about them all that much. It's just kind of supposed to let it wash over you and just like, you know, vibe.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's very vibey, but when you submit to her hypnotism, it's intoxicating. Um I thought the 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 poem Tessa de, de Pitro de Tessa de Pietro, page 32 <laughs> of the PDF. I thought that poem was kind of good. Um uh does anybody want to read it? either of you want to read it do you either feel like reading
2: um i could read it yeah i don't mind i
1: love your reading voice eleanor please read this poem
2: <laughs> okay um tessa di pietro i guess pietro, di pietro no one ever touched me without wanting to kill me except for a healer on 6th street and ridgely Tessa Di Pietro recommended casually by a medium I no longer know. She said my number one problem was my field was untrusting. When asked what to do, she paused and said nothing, which sent me right into uncontrollable sobbing, because there's never anything you can do about the important things. She said, Okay, one thing you can do is picture the floor rising up to support you and sink into the back of the bed that's behind you. Too much of your energy is in front of and above you. Which for some reason made me think of a live show I had seen, Jim Morrison at the Hollywood Bowl, 1968, check date. The blue trellis lights gave him an unusual aura, like a halo or something, made him eight feet or taller. I remember just thinking he looked out of his body, but definitely like a god on stage. So I told her. Maybe an artist has to function a little bit above themselves if they really want to transmit some heaven. Then she told me, singleness of focus is the key to transmission, for an emphasis on developing inner intuition. Close your eyes and feel where you hold your attention. If it's in the back of your eyes, walk it down to your heart, center, and make that the new place from which your thoughts enter clairvoyance comes mostly from this simple function oh and jim died at 27 so find another frame of reference when you're referencing heaven and did you ever read the lyrics to people are strange he made no sense
1: i'll say that's a good poem that's a good poem it goes in and out of metricality it goes in and out of rhymes and music yeah it's got a funny ending it's got a funny <laughs> surprising ending there's that check date moment where it feels like she's truly just writing this for herself yeah. there's something to this she's kind of, she knows what she's doing i think yeah
2: i i did i did enjoy this one i feel like a lot of her poems are interesting and in that they like kind of have like rhythm slash like rhyme but then they like fall out of it and then back yes. into it at random
1: uh, which sometimes I it's a little heavy-handed. Like yeah. sometimes she go, she's like really going hard on the rhymes, and it's like clearly she's just going to the first rhyme in her mind. Yeah, a, I could, I might be able to find it, but there's a couple moments where I'm like, it's kind of detracting for me. But in this poem, I think it really works. Yeah, I
2: agree. I do like this, but as I said earlier, I was thinking like as I read this, trying to view it from different perspectives and. I feel like this poem wouldn't connect with me as much if I just read it in a vacuum without knowing who wrote it. Like, I feel like it's a really interesting window into Lana Del Rey's like experiences and thoughts. But if I just like, if it was just a random person that wrote this, I feel like I would, like that draw wouldn't be there. So I would just be evaluating it in terms of the poem itself and I feel like it's just not like not put together enough to really hold my intention just on its own. It's kind not of not put together
1: uh, enough. That's a good, because it does feel like if I saw this in a journal, I would feel like, okay, this could use a little work.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, but like, it's interesting enough combined with like my interest in Lana Del Rey to be like, uh, yeah, I can see what you were going for.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marcus, did you think this poem was effective or did this one not strike you?
0: The last stanza killed it for me as in like it was so heavy-handed and pain, <laughs> really? like... painfully heavy-handed that it made it made probably what would have been the best um the best piece in the collection like below average for me because wow. it was it's just so oh, and Jim died at twenty seven, and it's just like, <laughs> did like did you did she, waver between Jim Morrison and Kurt Cobain, and and just <laughs> I just thought it was just a, a terrible ending, but the oh, wow, I the rest mm. of it, the rest of it, I would I'm in accordance with uh, most of what Eleanor uh, Eleanor said, um, uh, reading it. Reading it through you the, the it lens of the, the little I know I about her as a individual <laughs> and as a singer songwriter, um, I think it was better than the songs songs I'm I'm familiar with by her, and better yeah. better than the probably the rest of the collection, except for just the the very very put on ending,
1: bro. I can't agree. I love that ending. For me, the ending makes that poem the. And did you ever read the lyrics? to People are strange. He made no sense. I love the deconstruction of that. The it it, it t- pulls the rug out from the rest of the poem. In my in my experience, yeah, of it. I
2: do. I do respect that. I love a like non sequitur ending.
1: <laughs> it, but I mean, I, it's blunt in a way that I can see being unappealing. But it's funny that we are sticking to all of these long poems, in which there are nineteen, and there's also a whole section of haiku, and then there's a bunch of random images sort of throughout this book. Can we just say it? This is padding. This is filler. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I don't I don't think it's
2: padding. I feel like it has a purpose, which is just to again reinforce the aesthetic that she's going with. She's always about aesthetics. Yes.
1: Yes. yes. Okay. And a part, part of it, of it is, is like, like photographs that she's, that she's taken, taken of California, California like, like landscapes and, and like, like machinery. And then part of it is um, anonymous photographs of people reading books. So I'm imagining uh Lana Del Rey fan reading this book and it's full of all these black and white photos of people reading books. And it's this <laughs> whole like, what is going on? Is it's, It does feel just like this, like aesthetic attack almost like, yeah
2: and i like i you. did i did hear that like it was supposed to be like a chapbook and like way shorter yeah and then they like eventually made it a full length so maybe she just like ran out of stuff and it was like hey let's put in some pictures but i also feel like it fits with what she's generally going for
1: yes i feel like okay so that i wanted to bring up because in interviews about this book she initially was it was going to be 13 poems 13 of these long poems and she was going to hand make them and sell them for a dollar at a couple bookstores near where she lives. And then Simon and Schuster was like, actually, do you want to make this a real book? And she said, yeah. And then I feel like they were like, what else you got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she, she was like, um, I have a bunch of haiku that I wrote and uh, uh, we can throw some random pictures, pictures of- in there. It just feels like they really were trying to pad it out.
2: Yeah, I feel like the haiku are padding. The haiku are not good. Uh, the
1: are not good, the haiku are not good. There's one haiku that actually genuinely pissed me off, and let me read it because it's haiku. Um, I stepped on a bird. <laughs> That's my favorite <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I stepped on a bird. Cried in my new boyfriend's arms. To live is to kill. That's fucking hilarious. No,
2: <laughs> come on. <laughs> no,
3: just something
1: else say something about the flowers say something about the leaves falling say something anything but that don't tell me that let me feel that let me get there that's that one (laughs) that's the best one i'm sorry
2: it's hilarious
1: yeah it's pretty it's funny i don't know um babe let's go to town buy something sweet pink grapefruit eat it with sugar okay (laughs) that's a haiku yeah, that gets I mean, it. that
2: gets it. That's fine. The re- I feel like it's not as obviously the other one is not the best one. It's like really Yeah, that one is the <laughs> reactive. one. It's really bad. But because it's bad, it's great.
1: <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I have feelings about the haiku section, but I basically just think of it as filler. Like I barely even read that section. So it's kind of funny to me. She, th- she said originally it was going to be 13 long poems. Now in the final product, there's 19 long poems and all these haiku, and random scraps, and all these pictures. And I just feel like if it had been those 13 long poems, it would just be such a stronger selection, such a stronger series. Yeah,
2: yeah, you're probably right. I definitely felt, uh, like, worn out as I read yeah. through the book. it's just like, fucking long. From, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's long, it's and long. eventually, and, like, it's not, you get, like, so far into it and you're eventually just like okay i get it like <laughs> this isn't really offering yeah. anything new yeah uh, and like i do appreciate all the like her like uh kind of the poems that are like retellings of like some of the experiences she's had i think that's cool but like
1: yeah those are as, the best parts we're just talking about her life
2: yeah which i which i think is really cool but as far as like poetry goes it's like i i get it I i get what you're going for
1: I hated when she said, "Um, my life is my poetry, my love like yeah, I was gonna bring legacy. that up. I
2: twice, twice. My life
1: is my my life is my poetry. My love making is my legacy. That that's like a, her writing out its words. I,
2: I, I feel like the the whole lead up to that. I love you, but you don't understand me. <laughs> you see, I'm a real poet.
1: <laughs> okay, but here's the thing: when you listen to her read that poem. She's reading that section in a really, like, sarcastic tone.
3: I'm a real poet. My life is my poetry. My lovemaking is my legacy. My thoughts are about nothing and beautiful and for free.
1: It's like really, I, she's reading it in this kind of, like, mocking tone.
2: But I don't think that comes through on the page. No, it definitely doesn't. It comes out as totally sincere.
1: Yeah. That's I don't know how tr- she would signal that otherwise. I thought that poem sucked. Salamander?
2: yeah i yeah i was kind of over it at that point that's the really interesting though i get out of my blood
3: salamander yeah first
1: science good
2: i haven't listened to her it, so maybe i should do that because
1: well okay i will just say this is the only like interesting insight that i had was this particular moment where she was reading it where she okay. got to those lines but she was reading it in this sort of like mocking and silly tone and i was like okay maybe Reading on the page, it just comes off it doesn't come off that way. So yeah,
2: I feel like if if that's the intention, maybe she should put it in like quotation marks or something because, yeah, it definitely seems very sincere from the just reading it on the page,
1: yeah, yeah, Marcus, did you listen to any of the her reading it?
0: Yes, I did. I thought it made some it made some of them. Uh, less annoying, less grating because yeah, uh, the 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 backgr- the background music accompaniment I don't know kind of fits with just kind of the whatever lighthearted uh, image and everything that she's supposed to represent. So it made more sense. And to return to something you said, I thought that eh. when she read them aloud i thought oh yeah that would probably not be annoying as a lyric in a song but when just like put on the page like it's really bad like in the quiet waiter blue forever yeah um, water world sun chaser tropic of cancer southern equator I'm the crust, crying crustacean sunbathing on paper. No, you're yeah. rich and famous. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. within the but if that were like songs, and also when she says that in the reading, and there's musical accompaniment, it's much less grating, and I yeah. get it more.
1: Yeah, isn't that funny? Why I feel like songs can get away with worse poetry. What is that like? What is why is that? Is it just because when you're reading something on the page, it's just you and the words, but if it's the song, if the ly- if it's a lyric wrapped around a song, I don't know. You I've, get.
2: Well, I think having like instrumentation adds something to the words and like kind of tricks you into feeling something in a way that yeah. just like reading on the page doesn't. But I also feel like. Uh, like in songs, like even if you don't like the lyrics, you can kind of just ignore them and just listen to the music. If you like the music yeah. and that also works.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. I feel like, I mean, we've all, all three of us have written poems and they've written songs. Do You guys feel like the, the pro your approach is really different in those two categories or do you not really separate it? For me, it feels kind of the same, but then on the page, I just spend a lot more time trying to make sure it feels right. In a song, I just kind of fucking rock with it. <laughs> yeah,
2: I definitely kind of focus more on. Well, not to say that I focus more. I actually kind of just combine the two and like I make sure that the experience of reading it on the page like synchronizes with how. I envision it being, like, experienced aloud. And I feel like that generally works for me in, like, conveying the right tone and so forth.
0: What about you, Marcus? You two are much more um, established poets than I am, but I um, make a greater division between the two because I always, I mean, I've talked about it with some people, Um I can't even think of the song and they say, oh, but the lyrics. And I think that if I wanted like complexity or a specific kind of lyric, like I would seek that out in either old or contemporary poetry or something that isn't to say like when I've made lyrics, I don't want them to be cat in the hat. (laughs) But but, um, within the fact that it's like pop or rock music, like I always think of like Motown or even like the Cranberries, like, do 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 to the right melody and um, instrumentation is just like tremendous and obviously do 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 isn't isn't really That's conveying, not fly conveying the much and on page yeah it's completely different so I probably um, make a sharper division uh, between like a song and a poem yeah yeah I guess the melody does a lot of the work when you said Cat in the
1: Hat were you referencing young lean yes Yes. where did that come from if i'm correct there's
0: a music reviewer who said who described young lean's lyrics as um cat in the hat fuck it if it rhymes
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty good and kind of wraps back to diane seuss dr seuss i think that's a good place to end the discussion of this book do you guys have anything else to say about this book
2: um not particularly i feel like i said everything that uh, i meant to say about it but uh i will say i i expected to not like it when i was going into it and it was actually yeah, me too. was was not as bad as i thought
1: i went into it thinking, thinking i was like ready to be be like let's see what she could do and then i was like okay right. yeah yeah what about you, Marcus? I
0: will concede that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Um, but she says in one of her haikus that fame is a burden, but like look what you can get away with when you're famous. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's the, That's about an hour. Um, how do we end this episode? We've already done the Napoleon minute. I thought you in the sixth the
0: Napoleon minute on the end. <laughs> oh, I might. I, I, might I might. I might just
1: leave it where it is. I might try to keep this one rather. I don't know how much I'm gonna edit it. You know, I might just like pop it out there. Um, do you guys have anything to plug? Marcus, you played a show recently.
0: Yes, I played a show with. Uh, um, Sailor Town, who was leader, uh, was a student of mine once, many several years ago in field oh, I didn't and know that. field That's guides, cool. uh, who are so mm, more well known. So yeah, I played a show recently.
1: Nice. Did it go well?
0: I think it went all right.
1: Good. You got anything to plug, Eleanor? Mm.
2: Nothing in particular. I guess just my newsletter, which I is going to be linked in the description in the podcast description i guess
1: it's going to be linked every single week i'm going to link it i don't know
0: eleanor i don't know if um or uh, if august mentioned this to you but you redeemed substack for me when i found a uu substack because (laughs) i was like i was just like oh is it just everyone rehashing like uh like that mold bug guy or wokeness is a religion. <laughs> Has anyone thought of that? <laughs> or like, you know, computer people who just like discovered Nick Land <laughs> or so, stuff like that. There's like the drags of like internet culture. But when he said Eleanor uses a substack, I'm like, oh, swag. It's completely redeemed. It's
1: actually good. Are we going to do an episode about mold bug? <laughs> I, guy, I don't think guy i can stomach poetry. it i don't
0: think i can stomach it and also the fact that like the people that love him like his like acolytes would probably like you know try to murder at least yeah you're actually in new york
1: and... you're in dime square baby they'll take you down well that's been it that's been the episode episode two thanks for joining us and um See you next time in a few weeks when we talk about not sure what yet, but we'll decide it. Uh, Signing off. Goodbye. Farewell.
2: Later.